Welcome to today's show, friends. I don't have much to say other than it's with my dude, Mark Bell, and uh, we play a little bit of catch-up during quarantine to hear what it's like on the other side of the earth, on the West Coast, out in Northern California. Uh, My man, Mark Bell, always looking to the silver lining, and uh, he's got a wealth of knowledge. Um, He's been on the show, I think, a couple of times before already, maybe three times. I've been on his show a couple of times. Um... Truly someone who I've learned a lot from, uh, a freak of nature, squatted, I think over 1,100 pounds, many other feats of strength recently uh, in his in his bright old age, young age, young body, uh, went on stage and uh, did very well in a bodybuilding competition and um, way more than powerlifting and lifting weights is just uh, some of these keys to extracting uh, a good life while we're living in ridiculously chaotic times and uh, Mark has some beautiful insights so stay tuned for that we are brought to you today by ancestral supplements and grass-fed intestines with tripe is on the menu these guys at ancestral supplements are taking New Zealand source nose-to-tail organ meats bone marrow and intestines and putting them in simple convenient gelatin capsules which is a big deal if you're talking about eating an animal's intestines According to the great John Fire Lame Deer, the eating of guts evolved into a contest. Quote, in the old days, we used to eat the guts of the buffalo, making a contest of it. Two fellows getting a hold of a long piece of intestines from opposite ends started chewing toward the middle, seeing who can get there first. That's eating. Those buffalo guts, full of half-fermented, half-digested grass and herbs, you didn't need any pills and vitamins when you swallowed those. End quote. Intestines. Stomach, tripe, and other gelatinous parts provided concentrated amounts of connective tissue, undenatured collagen, probiotics, and other gut-specific proteins that are now absent from the modern diet. This goes without saying. So if you look at the modern diet and you say, all right, maybe I'm going to eliminate some processed food. Maybe I'm going to eliminate some of these other things that are engineered, as uh, my buddy Rob Wolf talks about in Wired to Eat, who will also be coming back on the show. It's pretty easy to kind of see that. Does it remain shelf-stable? All these other things. And of course, you know, supplements you could put into that category but at the same time what's missing i can't remember the last time in my life i ate animal innards uh i have had uh, liver i've had raw kidney with my man paul saladino the carnivore doc i've eaten some weird things i I talked about eating testicle uh with ben greenfield when we were on our hunting trip in in uh hawaii i think peter tia got in on that too everybody loves some nuts but um This is one I'd have trouble with, you know, just being quite frank. I would have trouble eating this. And the fact that these guys can still harness the nutrient density of these parts of the animal. And as our ancestors did, especially the ancestors of this land, utilize the entire animal nose to tail. How can we leave no waste? How can we leave nothing behind? And um, truly there is medicine in every part of these animals. So being able to tap into that in a way that's palatable, that's a huge win. You know, uh, I've spoken before about the taste of liver, the taste of kidneys and, you know, Saladino will argue otherwise, but it's at the very least acquired. And I don't think it's something that we're accustomed to in modern society is eating something that sharp, especially something like kidney or the sliminess that you would have to get through with intestines. But this is by far one of the best things because it's providing so much more than just collagen, which is awesome. Their, their living collagen is awesome. I take that as well. So does my wife, Tosh. Um, but again, getting into that, the half-fermented, pre-digested, half-digested grass and herbs straight from nature, a lot of the vitamins and minerals that are broken down, the enzymes and living 
pieces that go into that, the probiotics uh, and other parts of connective tissue, all of that in this supplement. And all you got to do is take six pills a day. Fantastic. Over at ancestralsupplements.com slash Kyle, you're going to get 10% off everything they have in the store. These guys are amazing. And I'm uh, stay on the lookout because I'm going to be doing a really cool event um, with these guys over at their place in North Houston coming up. So I'll be talking more about that in the weeks that follow. We're also brought to you by Paleo Valley Apple Cider Vinegar Complex. Um, anybody's taking ACV for sickness or cold, it's really good for the immune system. This is still uh, the case with these encapsulated apple cider vinegar complexes, but you can have all the healing properties of apple cider vinegar in a daily diet without the fuss or the burn. Uh, ACV for most people, if you got to gargle that down, it's, it's a little rough getting down the pipes, but in the capsules, not so much. Uh, ACV has been shown to support with digestion, breaking down proteins, amino acids for better absorption, improving the blood sugar response, supporting with satiety and cravings. This is huge for me and my wife. Um, you know, as I mentioned last week, we do have the genetics for diabetes and obesity. And even though we'll never look or uh, fulfill that part of our, our DNA through the epigenetic on-off switches, if I want to have a field day with carbohydrates, apple cider vinegar is a great way to curb um, the blood sugar response. And I'm actually testing that right now with a CGM, which uh, I'll be talking about a bit further with the guys who created it in an upcoming show. But anyway, I can have... Um, and it's not even a cheat meal. You know, like if I eat white rice, I look like I'm diabetic. But if I do that with apple cider vinegar from Paleo Valley, that's not the case. Uh, additionally, clinically proven benefits have been shown for high blood pressure, uh, reduced heart disease risk. Uh, chlorogenic acid component also seems to prevent LDL from oxidizing, which is a key factor in development of heart disease. All sorts of good stuff. You can check this out over at paleovalley.com. And all you got to do is enter code word Kyle at checkout. And you're going to get 20% off your entire order. That's Kyle at checkout, paleovalley.com. And these guys are also making beef sticks and a lot of other cool stuff. We are also brought to you by my good friends, Alex and Sarah. Alex Rubchinsky and Sarah Gustafson, uh, soon to be married. We're on the podcast about a month ago. And they are two very high-level Czech practitioners that are taking a deep dive with you personally, privately, in one-on-one coaching through a number of different modalities focusing on energy and elevation of mind, pretty much body, mental, emotional, and spiritual aspects of living, which is uh, more or less what this show is about, and uh, how to expand, how do we grow, how do we grow our connection in awareness with ourselves, with uh, the people that are closest to us, our one-on-one relationships, our partners, our children, and then outside of that, you know, how do we expand that further into the reaches of our community, into our purpose and direction in life, and truly, you know, no different than than what I've hammered out on the on this podcast is the fact that that always starts from within. It always starts with our own health. And then from there, through that mastery, we can begin to take that out into the world. And uh, I know that one minute of talking about their high level of coaching and what they've done for me is clearly not enough, but you can check out the podcast I did with them um, just a few episodes back. So if you scroll back, you can really take a deeper dive into archetypes and relationships and all sorts of cool stuff, which these guys will dive into you with. Uh, in their coaching. So if you go to primalfusionhealth.com slash E3 slash Kyle, 
you will get three free videos about what they're all about and um, some more content and see if coaching with them is right for you. We're also brought to you today by One Farm. One Farm is taking the very best hemp on the planet, a 100% USDA certified farm organic USDA certified USDA certified farm out in Colorado and reducing that to the very best full spectrum CBD products on the planet using 100% CO2 extraction and nothing else. You've, you've got uh, organic MCTs, natural flavors like cinnamon and lemon and unflavored for their tinctures. And they even have some awesome night serums and facial creams for ladies or raggedy old men like me who've been punched in the face too many times. All that good stuff over at onefarm.com slash Kyle, and you're going to get 15% off your entire order. And without having to go much further, my man, Mark Bell. All right, my brother, Mark Bell, back on the show. Yeah, what's up, my man? How you doing today? I'm doing pretty damn good, all things considered. How have you been? Uh, you know, I've, I've been really good. I've, um, you know, actually, uh, during this during this time, you know, I just have... Uh, I just switched things up a little bit, you know, like, um, I just have taken it as a, as a, t- a moment in time to, you know, the world is, is on pause and, um, everyone's kind of frozen. And I think, uh, we got two decisions to make. One is we could pull everybody's pants down so that when the world unfreezes, uh, everyone's exposed, right. Or you can, uh, decide to like advance yourself. And so that's what I've been doing. I've been just, uh, you know, going on a lot of walks. I've been running. Uh, I've still been lifting. I got some, a uh, little bit of weights in the garage here. I'm, I'm uh, in Bodega Bay, California, and uh, what a great place to be. The sun, sun's shining, and you can go and check out the ocean. Got the beach right there, and so, yeah, I, I um, I'm. It's, it's not, it sounds funny to say it this way, but I'm like proud of myself because I thought I would be like demoralized, you know, without having the gym, and, and I shut the gym down for myself too, because I thought it was a selfish thing if I was going to be at super training gym and then none of my team and none of my staff could go in there. I was like, you know what? That's kind of crap. So you know how it is, you know, training with all the people you trained with over the years, uh, you got that camaraderie. And if you're the only kind of dickhead in there training every day, it's, it's a little bit of uh, I don't know, a little bit of a smack in the face, I think to the rest of the crew. So I decided to just uh, rough it like the rest of them, I guess you'd say. I like that. Yeah. There's that, uh, obviously there's the aspect of camaraderie and you guys pushing each other. And if you're in there solo, it's not quite the same experience anyways, but that would certainly feel, um, it certainly wouldn't feel right if you're in there just cranking it out and everybody else is doing body weight exercises or training with one kettlebell or whatever they have at home. I imagine there's not a ton of people who train there who have a, a really legit home gym. And maybe that's just my own thought, but I would, I would think you don't, if you don't need it, why would you purchase all that shit? You guys have the best, one of the best gyms in the world, you know, that everyone has access to. No one's ever experienced quarantine before. And it's just like, oh shit, I should have had kettlebells. I should have had, you know, my own rack. I should have had whatever in anticipation, but there's no way to anticipate any of this. Yeah, it's definitely uh, uncharted territory, but you know, something I've been working on and I think that you have as well, like, you, you know, you retired from the fight game. And it allowed your mind, I'm sure that your mind just, um, especially but probably even towards the end of your career, even even before you uh, retired uh, from MMA, you probably started, your mind probably started to wander and started to drift and you probably started to uh, 
learn and probably start to open your mind to a lot of other things. And that's exactly what has been going on with me for the last few years. And so I've been very fortunate to have, it's not that I thought of every scenario, because like you said, who the heck could have figured out this one, right? Um, but I have been thinking about like worst case scenarios, like what happens if I die? What happens if my wife dies? What happens if my children get sick? You know, I have thought of these things. I have friends, my friend Jason Kalipa, uh, his daughter um, was diagnosed with leukemia a few years ago, and fortunately, uh, they've been able to get through that as a family, and they're beyond that, and she's very healthy nowadays. But watching him go through that, he and I have had some really good conversation, and he was like, hey, man, like, what's what would happen with your business if you were to, like, drop dead? And I'm like, hey, uh, way to bring the room down there, buddy, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but, uh, you know, he just brought up a really good point. Like, yeah, you should probably weigh out some bad scenarios. You know, I think before before this quarantine ever happened, before COVID-19 ever happened, um, there's still two things that are true. Every human being uh, gets prescribed, uh, you know, life is basically a death sentence. You're going to die. No one gets out of this alive. I don't believe anyone's done that quite yet. No one's figured that out yet. Um, the other side of it is, is that, you know, before the quarantine happened, the only thing we had control over, the only thing we had rule over, agency over is our thoughts, you know, and what we do with our thoughts, the thoughts that come into our heads, the way that we interpret stuff, the way that we think about things. And uh, yes, uh, this disease sucks. It's um, I think there's over 4 million Americans that have contracted it at this point. Uh, and there's around 70,000 that have uh, died from it. And it's, it's, um, it's definitely different for everybody to, to go, to go through this. Uh, but at the same time, are there things that we can still work on? Are there advancements that we can still make? Um, the people that are healthy, the people that are in good shape, you know, they, they can hopefully uh, still figure out ways to make money, still figure out ways to just, you know, get shit done. Like I said, the only thing we've ever had rule over, and that's before and after the quarantine, is the thoughts and how you process what's going on. Because if we just hit the ground and start crying, um, it's not helpful. If you get pissed off, that's not, not really helping the situation either. So what I'm going to do out here in California is I, I've just kind of gotten tired of, of what's going on around here. So I was like, well, you know what? I'm going to work on opening up California myself. So uh, I'm going to get some people together. We're going to go down to, just to downtown Davis, and uh, I'm going to ask everybody. This is something I just thought of this yesterday, and uh, I was just going to get – I started texting some friends and things like that. And I said, Hey, let's all just get together and let's go to downtown Davis and order a bunch of food from whatever restaurants allow you to have takeout. Let's bring lawn chairs. Let's clean up after ourselves, of course. And uh, let's just, uh, you know, make a little ruckus, nothing violent, nothing, uh, nothing illegal, just a statement of like, Hey, let's, let's figure out a way to get this shit uh, back together again. Cause I, you know, I'm not, I'm not a very like politically driven person. I try not to get too wrapped up in whatever, but I do like to be aware of what's going on. And um, I just don't think there's a reason to wait. I, I, I want to start to search for the answer of uh, what's the reason to wait? Like, why are we waiting? Because are we waiting for a cure? There is no cure for viruses. Um, are we waiting for a vaccine? Vaccines can uh, can can definitely be helpful, um, but uh, that's not a cure either, right? I mean, so 
you know what that that's my question that i that i would like to uh be in search of for the next few weeks here so that's what we're going to do out here in norcal i like that that's a good plan you know it's it's uh the moderate assembly maybe not the mass assembly but you know some form of statement of bringing people back together being out in nature and community you know you build community through food you break bread with one another we had paul saladino on the podcast recently who was took a deep dive into the statistics and one of the things he was talking about is these two cruise ships that um had confirmed outbreaks on you know the princess and then a naval ship and an interesting thing to pay attention to in all of this as we look back on on however this thing pans out is which cultures that we study, what statistics they had and were they healthy to begin with, like an Iceland or a Finland and then or a Sweden. And then we look at other cultures and, you know, amongst the cruise ships, you have typically a larger overweight population of elderly people that are not necessarily taking care of themselves, generally speaking. And then obviously the Navy ship, completely different ball game. People are healthy, they're in shape. And one of the things they found was, and I'm, I'm just paraphrasing here, but of the people who were, everyone was tested on the ship, only 20% tested positive and yet everyone's exposed. So the first thing we have to do is say, if everyone's exposed and only 20, 20% contract this, that's one statistic we need to pay attention to because not everybody's going to be, you might have exposure and not just get it plain and simple of the 20 per, 20% of the people who get it. were asymptomatic, meaning they had zero signs of any symptoms whatsoever, right? And then that really takes the death number down. It doesn't, it's not to say that people aren't dying, but um, another, another lens to look through is, are the people who actually die healthy or not? Well, across the board, we see pre-existing conditions. And then what happens if somebody dies, like Rogan was just talking about this. If somebody dies from a heart attack while they have tested positive for COVID, they die of COVID. They don't die of the heart attack. They die of COVID-related illness. Well, they were going to fucking die of a heart attack anyways, right? If you're not taking care of yourself and you're going to die of a pre-existing condition, regardless, just like we're all going to die no matter what, and you start lumping them into COVID numbers, that's going to boost those COVID stats, right? So how do we intelligently look at this and say, maybe the death toll is far less than we thought it would be. Maybe everyone who's dying has something going on pre-existing, whether it's age-related, illness-related, cancer-related, the list goes on and on. And maybe the populations where we see the largest amounts of deaths, like Northern Italy, maybe they're not so healthy to begin with. Large percentage of smokers, lots of pollution in Wuhan, things like that. So if we start to factor all these things into the equation, I think I think there's good reason why we see a lot of these um, you know, more right red states starting to, you know, usher people back into work. Like, hey, we'll still wear masks and all that, but let's not completely tank the economy in some type of, um, you know, overreaction to something that's potentially, you know, going to kill us. I don't think it's going to wipe us all out. And maybe this is a good trial run for the super bug that does come along. But as of, as of this point right now, there's really no reason, you know, I mean, you, you listen to everybody, whether they're, you know, down the line or they're alternative medicine. Um, everyone's been saying this thing survives in the cold. And here we are entering the summer months. It's time to fucking come back out. I, I couldn't agree more. And, and um, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful that, uh, you know, more people will protest and more, more people will voice their opinion. I think I think a lot of times we don't feel like we got much of a voice, even though, you know, we do, do live in a uh, in a free country. I feel like um, 
a lot of times we don't think you can make a difference. You know, I'll hear people, you know, a lot of times they'll complain about the president and then you'll ask them if they voted and they didn't vote because they just feel like they don't, they feel like it doesn't matter, you know, and, and maybe it doesn't matter. Like maybe the uh, votes are fudged and maybe they always been, uh, maybe the news has always been fake, you know, like I think, you know, people have to give Donald, cre Donald Trump credit, at least for one thing. Uh, he brought the world fake news and he, he kind of uh, showed the world that you can't trust the media. And no one has ever really exposed that before. I mean, there's kind of been some exposés on it and stuff here and there, but I don't think anybody ever bought it. I don't think anybody ever believed it. Now you look at how far off, you know, like Fox News will go versus CNN. Like they're, they're completely divided. <laughs> the, the, the information is um, mm -hmm. not only slightly different, but it's opposite a lot of times. And it's like, wow, that's really confusing. And then you have other, uh, you know, you've got other media trying to do, uh, maybe a little bit better job of uh, bringing you the news. But again, you know, if we go back to, you know, the answer usually lies in the middle. We hear that all the time, right? The, the, it doesn't, it doesn't probably make any sense for us to go back to 100% completely the way things were before. We should probably have some concern. It should probably be at least a little bit. Uh, we don't want the elderly to get sick. The people with comorbidities, we don't want to see them die. Um, so the people that are sick, the people that don't feel well, the people that are nervous or scared about getting outside and, and getting around other people or congregating or going to a stadium and stuff like that. Um, you know, unfortunately those people would have to figure out whatever ways they think is best for them to stay protected. They need to do so. But, you know, as far as everybody else goes, um, you know, washing your hands, not being a, not being a dirty mofo. And, um, you know, practicing some social distancing and then just kind of like seeing kind of what happens, but people dying, you know, it's, it's, it's nothing new. I mean, um, you know, if you look at, you know, from a war perspective, you know, a, a lot of people have died for the freedom that this country that we have, you know, and now we have it. Like, I think, you know, in terms of like equal rights and freedom and stuff, it, it's not, it's, you know, by no means is it perfect, but it might be the best that it's ever been in this country. You know, it might be about the best. I know there's still a lot of racism and there's still a lot of inequalities and there's still a lot of disgusting things that happen that just suck. Um, but I, I think that we've finally gotten to a point where it's like, wow, things seem to be, things seem to be pretty good. Uh, we hear people arguing about politics and fighting about politics and religion and stuff just like they have in the past, but at least people are talking about it. Um, but now it's like we, we, it's almost as if the American public doesn't really care. Like, oh, it's, you know, we got to stay inside, stay inside, wash my hands, you know, and uh, be, be, be a good person and continue to sit on our hands. And I think, you know, if my grandfather did that and other people's grandparents did that, uh, we wouldn't be anywhere. We wouldn't even have a free country in the first place. So I, I can't really think of a lot of, cases where, um, you know, I, I know that people are like, oh, it's being smart, but I, I don't, I don't think it's smart. I think it's, um, I think it's being ignorant to the fact that this virus is not nearly as dangerous as we originally thought. And uh, it's time to, it's time to move on, I think. Yeah, it is time to move on. And there's, there's a lot of people that talk, uh, uh, Eric Weinstein has been on Rogan's a number of times. He did an excellent 
um, YouTube video, and I think it got released on his podcast with his wife, where you know they are <clears throat> PhD biologists, and even though they're not virologists, they go into the nature of viruses and really talk about the fact that viruses want to make their way into the future. And one of the ways they do that is by adapting and changing. And one of the ways they adapt and change for the most part is to become easier on the host that it infects. It's not to become more deadly because if it it only survives within the host, it does not survive. uh, It only carries on whether it's alive or not. That's, I know that's debated strongly on both sides of the argument, but it only makes its way into the future when the hosts are alive to spread it. So if we consider that factor, um, that's one of the reasons why, and maybe it's just human adaptability. Maybe that when, when we pass this thing on to one another, it's changing in a way that makes it more tolerable for the next, or you look at, you know, Graham Hancock's, uh, or not Graham Hancock, Rupert Sheldrake's hundredth monkey theory and morphic resonance. Maybe the collective consciousness rises to a level where it's less deadly. Um, still, there will always be a population of people who are under threat. Those are population of people that don't necessarily take care of themselves. And I think through the lens that you're talking about, you can always look through, you can always look through, through two, two angles of one coin. And that is what's in my control and what's not in my control. And for the large part, it's not in our control to just march back into work and say, I'm opening up business. I don't give a shit about the law. Like, no, probably not a lot of people can do that right now. But you always have control over how you spend your time. And now we have an abundance of that right? Uh, There's always this teeter-totter. You know, when you talk about the economy and you talk about wealth and abundance, there's two forms to that. There is time, an abundance of time and an abundance of finance. And most people have been sacrificing their time for money. And now we have what? Less money, but more time. So how do we spend that time in an effort to better ourselves and I think you've, you've hit it the nail on the head. You know, you can walk more. You can be outside of nature. You can lift weights. And if you don't have weights at your house and kettlebells are on back order or something like that, you can do any basic body weight exercises that you could look up on YouTube and something is better than nothing. But all of which promote health. Sunlight promotes health. Vitamin D promotes health. Getting in nature promotes health. I mean, you go down the list of things that we have access to. Everybody, I mean, as far as I know, it doesn't matter which state you're living in or which country, you couldn't throw on a mask and go for a walk outside, whether you have a dog or not, whether it's with your family or not, you can get your ass outside and that's going to do wonders for health. That uh, ASU Kyle Kingsbury, uh, 290 pound defensive end, uh, probably wouldn't have done very well if, uh, if the weight room was taken away and stuff. Do you feel like the things you've been doing for the last several years have kind of, again, no one's really truly prepped for this and who knows how long it will go on and who knows what it'll maybe even spawn into or whatever. But <clears throat> you feel like a lot of the things that you've learned over the last several years have really kind of prepped you from a mental standpoint for what's going on. Yeah. With, without question, you know, and you're to your point, you're exactly correct. You know, I mean, I would have lost my fucking mind if this happened back when I was in college, I didn't have any of the tools. Right. And I think that's, you know, Podcasts like yours and mine are about giving people tools. It's not self-help, it's empowerment, you know, and, and it's empowerment through um, 
you know, the tracks we've taken, there are many paths up the mountain um, and there's no one right single way. You know, one of my favorite quotes from yours that I've said uh, probably until I'm blue in the face on this podcast was uh, when people ask you, you know, what's the best way to train? Is it bodybuilding, powerlifting, CrossFit? Is it body weight? Is it MMA? Is it this or that? And then you, you always tell them it's the thing you're not doing, right? Because of adaptability and change, right? And so it, it's not to say that anyone is better. It's just to say the more tools I have, the more access I have. You know, if I've learned some degree of CrossFit format, wads and things like that, I can bridge together my own exercises to make a workout of the day. If I've done a powerlifting program with Burdick or some of these different guys, I can build on that. If I've done uh, on at six bodyweight programming, I know how to do you know, some yoga and some integrated bodyweight exercises and maybe some plyometrics. And I can do that shit anywhere in the world. So, and this is strictly on the physical, you know, when we start talking about different practices of calming the mind from meditation and some of the, some of the, the stuff that maybe mindfulness, maybe it's a little harder for some people to grasp. Um, certainly if you haven't had a practice of that and you just try to jump right in, at least there's apps now, you know, I mean, uh, uh, what's the guy's name? Who's been on Rogan's a bunch? Super smart neuroscientist. I know I've seen uh, Sam Harris. Sam I've Harris commercial. Sam Harris. Yeah, Sam Harris. <laughs> yeah, he's got a brilliant app. Um, you know, there's 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 many great apps there, but just going for a walk. You know, like that's that's the low hanging fruit. When you talk about that ten minute walk, um, you know, in anything you want to you want to bridge the gap, whatever tool it is, and and you know, talking to many of the experts who have been on the show with regard to habit change, you don't just jump headfirst into the deep end. You don't say, all right, I'm going to start walking. I'm going to go keto. I'm going to fucking get to bed on time. I'm going to intermittent fast 16 hours a day. And you just go down this list of everything you want to add. That's a hard thing to chew on. You start adding all those in, but if you add them in one by one and keep the habit and really feel the difference from that habit, then you know the why behind it. Well, then it's going to stick. If you understand the why behind it, you'll figure out anyhow. And I think of that, you know, all these tools that I've learned to help me navigate equanimity in my own mind and my own perception uh, really do pan out. But, you know, to be perfectly honest, I'm no different than anyone else. When, when this thing started, I was fucking fried. I was like, this, this went from a one week spring break for bear. And, and mind you, this is his first year in school. It's not like we've been accustomed to him being in school, but we got accustomed to him being in school somewhat. And all of a sudden it goes from that to two weeks to, all right, this is the extended summer and we don't know if they're going back in 2020. And uh, with a baby on the way and a lot of other things to figure out, it was pretty nerve wracking. But at the same time, we would have had to sort that shit out anyways. School was going to end May 28th. And then we only would have had a month to figure out how do we be with our son? How do we co-parent and do some type of homeschooling where we can create routine and a schedule that fulfills each one of us and at the same time creates space so every one of us doesn't feel claustrophobic within our own uh, family unit, but we each have time for ourselves. We each have time as a couple. We each have time as a collective group. And I think in, in really sorting through that and wading through the shit of stuff that needed to be sorted anyways we've now had the time and the impetus to make that happen. And I think that having those tools really did make all the difference in the world in being able to cultivate a pretty rad experience in quarantine. I have a 12 year old daughter and a 16 year old son, as you know, and, um, you know, seeing them, you know, um, 
with this new, you know, kind of new challenge that's going on of, uh, you know, figuring out how to do like homeschool, figuring out how to do it on the computer and things like that. You know, and I think that you would probably be in full agreement with me. I mean, it's, it's sort of ridiculous that school has never really changed. You know, it's been the same for, you know, I don't even know how long. Um, and school is kind of like a daycare system. Like it, it sort of only exists just to like put your children somewhere when they're certain ages. Um, I, I'm not a huge fan of our education system. And I, and I, I would love for something like to come out of this where there's a lot of advancements, but I, I doubt that will happen. I'm sure it will probably just go back to the same, uh, the same old song and dance that they've, they've had before. But, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting to watch them go through the process. And as much as I didn't like school and as awful as I was of a student, um, you know, I was talking to my wife about it yesterday and I said, you know, I always bash school and I bash public education a lot because I had a hard time and because I was called a retard and I was put in special classes and things of that nature. But really, if I think about it, it really helped shape me anyway, because it's a lot of the, it wasn't the actual school, you know, it wasn't just like, you know, what I was learning in math class and those kinds of things, it's all the other stuff, hanging out with your friends, trying to figure out, you know, in between class, you know, how you're going to go and see your buddies for a couple minutes and, and screw around and then, you know, barely make it to the next class. Um, all the, all the uh, extra activities after school, playing football, uh, playing basketball and just, you know, playing a lot of track and field, um, all the track, all the uh, different trips that I went on, you know, with track and field. I don't know if anybody listening has, you know, uh, done some track and field, but it's like, uh, it's like almost like a swim meet or something like it just takes forever. You know, it takes all day and we would drive, you know, two hours to go to go somewhere and then we'd be there for the entire uh, Saturday, you know, and everyone's got to do all their events. And then we'd all, you know, we'd all go on a bus and we'd all go home. But like, you know, now all that stuff is, uh, is just gone. You know, and I don't think that, you know, sports are the only reason you go to school, but there's there's just so many other things that happen trying to figure out how. Like uh, you got your math teacher, you got your history teacher, and each person you have to kind of uh, uh, figure out a way to interact with them differently. You know, maybe your history teacher you get along with a little bit, so you can you can kind of screw off a little bit more. But you you learn those things in school, and these are things that you carry out into the workforce. Like it, like like you know this from managing a lot of people and and working at uh, the different places you've worked at in the past. Um, you're dealing with how everyone grew up <laughs> and you're dealing with how everyone behaved in school. It's kind of just a, they're just kind of doing the same, you know, the same thing that as they've always been, you know, the pop, you can spot them from a mile away. The kids that were popular in school, the kids that weren't popular in school, the kids that were kind of always nervous, the kids that were worried about someone like eating their ass. I mean, you can, you can see those, you can see that in adults, you know, but now, you know, watching my old children going through this process, I'm like, man, they're kind of like, I mean, I remember being, you know, 12 or 13 and being like, man, that's the last thing I want to do is go to school. I'm going to fake, you know, a cough or something so I don't have to go. And then I would kind of think about it. And I'd be like, well, oh, my friends are going to be there. I got football practice. Like, that would be pretty cool. And then, in, you know, second period, there's this hot chick in my class or whatever. And I, I would love to see her, even though I'm not going <laughs> to, even though there's no chance that I'm ever going to say two words to her. You know, just just seeing that person, uh -huh. like it was, it was a big deal. And now, like all that's gone, so it's an interesting time. 
Yeah, it is interesting. And it, you know, it, it's, I mean, for us, it's a weird situation because <clears throat> I too, uh, I fucking hated school. I went to a really, really, you know, I, I don't know how, I'm not even sure how to word this, a very good public school, a good in the sense that people that come out of that school make their way into really good colleges and they test well statistically across the board. And, and obviously there's entire books written about how we gauge, you know, kids at each, at each grade and all that. And kids learn at different paces and, and all the things, you know, and, um, I just, I didn't like it at all. I fucking hated it, you know? And, And it's one of the reasons why we looked outside the box, we considered homeschooling and, um, you know, through talking with guys like Paul Check and learning of Rudolf Steiner's work, we got Baron to Waldorf. And I realized when people hear that, they're like, oh, good for you. You fucking send your kid to the rich kid school. It's like, hey, I, I prioritize a couple of things. And after talking with Ramit Sadie, who wrote the book, I Will Teach You to Be Rich, I, when I posted about that book on Instagram, everybody's like, well, what the fuck is that? Life's not all about being rich, you know? And then here's this guy with his asshole title of his book. And I'm like, no, 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 no. If you read the book, he will explain that his rich life is different from my rich life and it's different from your rich life. Right. And so it, it really is about how we set the priorities of what matters to us most and funnel our wealth into those things. And the two highest priorities for me outside of Maslow's hierarchy are eating the highest quality food I can put in our bodies, providing that for my family and getting the best education to my son, you know, and, and largely I don't give a flying fuck if he goes to college or not. If he wants to play sports in college, cool. If he wants to um, just attend school and go to art, we'll, we'll try to help him with that as best we can. But this introductory stage is, is in my opinion, an important piece. And if he can do it differently than how I had to do it, that's awesome. But even now in quarantine, you know, they're, they're trying to set up zoom calls for kindergartners. And I'm like, you're missing the fucking point. <laughs> this whole deal, this whole deal at this age is about social interaction. It's about learning from someone other than their parents. Can they be coached from someone else? Because, you know, like most energetic boys, and I'm sure you were this way, you probably gravitated towards a few people as coaches and mentors. And there was probably a lot more that you did not gravitate towards that you would not want to learn from. And that's really where bears at. He doesn't, he doesn't like learning from us and he's pretty anti-authority. And then he's a perfect angel when he's in, when he's at school, you know, which is great to hear because he's learning from his teachers. But you know, the whole idea that I would shell out that kind of cheese for private school and have a fucking zoom call once a week. It's like, no, 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 you guys are missing the boat here. So, you know, I'm in a weird position because it's like, I don't want to pull him out and not have the opportunity for him to go back. And at the same time, if this goes on much longer, I'm not paying for that. I'm not shelling out that kind of money. That's more than fucking two car payments for him to go to that school and not attend. It's just not worth me. Like would be, would would be a decent idea and this would take some coordination, but it would be uh, great to communicate with the parents, you know, get on a zoom call with the parents, you know, the teachers, the authorities at Baldarf or or whatever your kid goes to school and say, Hey, you know, what's your son into, you know, what does he like? And you're like, Oh, he likes wrestling. Like I throw him into the couch and, he loves smashing his head, you know, against, against the couch pillows or whatever. Um, you know, and they, they run down a list of a couple other things like, Oh, well, you know, we teach our son about, you know, nutrition. We teach him about exercise. Like, okay, well, that'd be great. Like make sure he exercises every day. Oh, you said he loves to go on a trampoline. How about you go on a trampoline with him? Or you, you know, make sure he goes on a trampoline, you know, twice a day or something. Just giving you, obviously I don't need to give you exercise advice, but you know, they would walk through this with each person and say like, 
you know, does he like this subject? Does he like that subject? And whatever the heck it is that he likes, maybe he thinks police officers are cool. And like, okay, well, you know, find some things to communicate with him about. You know, you can just, you can kind of, uh, you know, ad lib it. It doesn't have to be, you know, this, this structured thing because even a lot of people that will homeschool, you're still just getting a curriculum. It's just taking school and like inserting it into your house kind of. And um, I, I think it's great. I think that people um, should be heavily exploring different options for their children, you know, within, within whatever means uh, they can afford and whatever, whatever means they can uh, figure out. You know, I, I think that most of the stuff when it comes to the actual education system of this country, most of the things when you, when you bring up to people the different problems, they're like, yeah, but like, you know, some kids, uh, you know, their, their only good meal is from, is the lunch they get at school. And it's like, well, that's not, okay, that's a logistical problem, but that has nothing to do with what they learn. It doesn't really have a lot to do with their education, you know, and then every time you go to mention something else, they'll throw something else at you again. And like, well, who's going to watch the kids? And you're like, okay, again, that's a, that's a logistical thing that could probably be figured out in some other means or some other way. Um, but, you know, I think it's important for people to understand that the reason why kids reason why kids are such are so great at being such sponges is that they fail fast you know they they fall they hit their head they um they do stuff where because we have more knowledge because we understand more things we're like that's dumb like what are they doing like sometimes you'll kind of even like think to yourself like wow my kid's an idiot like what <laughs> what in the heck did he do that for but it's just because we have more knowledge because we either failed or we saw our brother or sister fail or we saw somebody else fail or someone else told us like, that's not a good idea. You know, Hey, don't go running in the middle of the street, um, you know, or, or whatever the, whatever the case is, but all knowledge is created from errors, you know, error correction, correcting mistakes, correcting things that you messed up. And I, I don't really, they don't talk about that in school. They don't in public school. Like I never learned anything about philosophy. Like I never learned anything about, stoic philosophy no one ever really i'm very fortunate because i had really good parents my parents literally would tell me on a daily basis you know i'd be super upset from school um and my parents would tell me all the time they're like you know what mark you can still like it does you know you're you're at school and you're trying to get these good grades because you're trying to be like a lot of these other kids but you can still go out and do whatever you like you can go out and do whatever you put your mind to because you're going to figure it out because you're going to be interested in it enough. I've never had anybody say anything remotely close to that to me in school. I never had anybody tell me that, uh, you know, life is what you make of it. I've never had anybody like you hear it out of school. I didn't hear it in school. Um, everything is to do with interpretations and your reinterpretations of the things that you hear. You can't really always control your thoughts because like weird stuff will hit you when you're taking a shit or when you're in the shower or something like that. But you can control uh, your emotions that are tied to those thoughts and you can work on reinterpretation of the things that you hear, the things that you see, the things that you do. And um, I mean, those are the things that are going to keep people strong. Those are going to be the things that help advance people. And I, I didn't even know that I could really learn until I was probably, man, I was probably like about 30. You know, I, it's not like I like if you were to ask me, hey, can you learn anything? I, I would be like, oh, yeah, well, I know that all these stats about like Bo Jackson or something or whatever I was interested in. I knew information about uh, lifting weights, things like that. 
Um, so it wasn't like I, it wasn't like I wasn't aware that I could learn. Um, but it was kind of pounded into me that I wasn't smart. And so I was just like, well, I, I don't know if I'll ever be able to really advance or I, I would never be able to understand anything, uh, in physics or something like that. Right. And now, like, instead of me listening in like Pantera, when I go, uh, and exercise, I'm listening to like David Deutsch, who's a, who is a physicist, you know, like just, just different things like that. I didn't know that, you know, I guess I'll just kind of finish with, with saying this is that no one can tell you what you can learn and know or how much you can learn and know. And no one can tell you really what you're capable of or you're not capable of. Uh, you can have the best well-meaning scientist or the best geneticist, uh, but they really can't. I mean, there's some physical limitations that you may have how high you could jump or how fast you can run or, or something to, to that effect. But um, when it comes to your mental capacity, uh, everyone possesses the ability to learn and grow. And from what I've seen in, you know, coaching a lot of people and like lifting and things of that nature, everyone possesses the ability to get stronger, you know? And so I didn't kind of realize these things until I was like about 30 years old. And I started to coach other people and I would coach someone who was a real sack of shit. <laughs> I would coach someone who was really, <laughs> really just a piece of shit. You know, I'm like, oh my God, like this is going to be rough. Every time I try to teach this guy to squat, knees are caving in. Like he, he uh, looks like a baby giraffe. You know, the guy's just falling apart. And then sure enough, uh, a couple weeks go by and this guy, you know, is he's there on time all the time. He's doing all the extra stuff that I showed him. And there he is. And he gets a, a 20 pound PR and then a 40 pound PR and then a 60, you know, and it's just, it's unbelievable, but we all possess the ability uh, to get better. And these are just, these are some really massive things that I just, you know, I, I wish that those things were taught in school. Yeah, there that, that, and again, that just goes back to the self-empowerment, but you don't really have the ability if you're not testing yourself, you don't have the ability to know what you're capable of without testing yourself and without failure. So that, that just loops back into what you're talking about, all of which happened through experience. You know, and I think so much of what we see right now globally with quarantine and so much of what we've seen, even predating any quarantine, was people are frozen at the fucking plate. You know, and the only way you have a chance at hitting the ball is to swing the bat. That's it. Right. The opportunity to make it on a base. I mean, obviously you can get walked in baseball, but, you know, bottom line is you, you will fail every time without taking the chance. The only way you get the chance to, to succeed is through the experience of trying. And that's the only way you really gain the knowledge and wisdom of what worked and what didn't. You know, we're, we're reading these warrior kid books from Jocko Willink to bear and they're fucking exceptional. Oh, that's awesome. And that's one of the concepts he really yeah, they're so good. And that's just one of the things, you know, he can't read yet. We're reading them to him. And when he's old enough to read, I'm going to have him reread the books. But again, he just gets into that. Like, you know, he, he talks it through the lens of jujitsu. Uh, the kid in the book, Mark, he doesn't want to do a jujitsu tournament, even though he's really good in class. And the reason for that is he doesn't want to lose. He doesn't want to fail. And it's like you either win or you learn. And if you just reframe that whole thing, you either win or you learn, you either succeed or you learn, then in that you're always succeeding. 
you know, because you get the opportunity to, to get the W or you get the opportunity to go back to the drawing board and fine tune and figure out what worked, what didn't. And that applies to every aspect of life. It even applies to something like meditation. You know, like you could, you could have the, the deep, harsh inner critic say, you fucking idiot. You just wasted 20 minutes of your life by sitting here and thinking through of all your problems and you didn't meditate or have a quiet mind for one minute. And a lot of people do that. And that's why I think these apps are so beneficial because they give you the lens of, of really forgiving yourself first. Like don't, <laughs> if you go down the rabbit hole, quickly shift back to no mind. There's no judgment there. But I mean, in, in any in any possible lens we look through, whether it's any of these tools that we've discussed from the physical to the mental, emotional, um, the ability to gather information and just take data from a witness standpoint, rather than from a, did I do well? Did I do good? And I think that's in part, one of the issues of what's being seated in school is the constant comparing ourselves to where we should be. What are the rest of the kids in class doing? Uh, I'm, I'm not smart because I hit D's and, and the best grades I've had are like a C plus. That was me. Right. And so, again, I look through that lens and it's like you can have a pretty uh, poor self-image if you're not succeeding elsewhere. I didn't have a poor self-image because I was doing really well in football and wrestling. But for a lot of people who don't have the physical attributes and aren't into sports and they live and die on their grades, that can be a really harsh way to live. You know, and then we just carry that inner judge and inner critic based on how we view the world of, of comparison, comparison to everyone else. And if we're doing that our entire lives, there's no freedom in that. There's no sovereignty in that. And there's no inner peace when it comes to that. I think it's important that you, um, you know, compare yourself to, to yourself, you know, and you improve yourself for yourself, uh, which can be really hard. You know, that's like, a you know, sometimes you hear someone say these certain things and you're like, okay, that actually is some pretty good advice. And you're like, damn, that's hard. You know, it's actually like very, very difficult to not compare yourself to other people. Um, you know, it's it's kind of in our nature. And, and who knows, maybe it's, uh, you know, intertwined with some sort of evolutionary trait. You know, if you can run faster or throw something harder or whatever, you know, maybe it maybe maybe that's supposed to chip at me a little bit. Maybe that's supposed to make me go, how can I do what Kyle just did right there? And then maybe it's also supposed to chip it chip away at me a little bit and uh, allow me to recognize. All right, well, I can't do that shit that Kyle's doing because I don't know how to do that that well. But I can do this. And Kyle can't match me on that, you know. And I think I think that's that's you know my mom says it in bigger, stronger, faster to my brother. My mom says, uh, "How do you know someone doesn't want to be the next Chris Bell?" And direct you know direct movies that, that impact a lot of people that that help a lot of people. And it's like, holy shit, like that's, you know, how do you know that, that uh, someone doesn't want to be the next bear or someone doesn't want to be the next Kyle Kingsbury or someone doesn't want to be the next uh, uh, Mark Bell. And that's, it's, you know, it's trying to compare yourself to other people. I think sometimes can be very healthy, like to be inspired by somebody. Like you mentioned Jocko Willink. It's like, man, who doesn't want to be a little bit like Jocko Willink? You know, like, I'd like he's, he's awesome, but to be, uh, to be like, you know, jealous of him or to just say to yourself, I'll never, you know, I'll, I'll never, I'll never be, I'll never be able to be like that. You know, um, I don't think anybody's asking you to, you know, um, this is uh, from uh, Mr. Rogers. He says, you know, you don't have to do anything spectacular in this world to be loved. You, know, you think about, think about your child, you know, like what, what a great message to share with bear. 
you know, Bear's going to try to do all this cool stuff as he gets older. I mean, maybe he'll play baseball and get involved in some different sports. And he strikes out. And he's real upset. And like Bear, dude, like nothing's changed, bro. Like we're we're still homies. Like you're still my buddy. You're still my son. I still love you. I still care about you. You know, you miss you miss the ball a couple times, but you'll get you'll get back up there again. You know, those, those kinds of things. And I think that uh, a lot of these things are are just they're kind of missing in our society. You know, and I, I don't think anybody ever talks about even people talk about happiness and they talk about like self-love, but they don't even talk about where happiness comes from. Happiness just it comes from one it comes from one spot, it comes from one place, it comes from one thing. It co- comes from problem solving. You know, if you try to try to, you know, 100 percent of the time, that'll probably be the statistic that you come up with is that whenever you solve problems for yourself, you're a little happier. You're a little more excited. Oh, I was weak, and so I decided to go into the gym because I was a skinny, I was a skinny guy, and I, I, you know, get my ass kicked all the time. Well, I got a little bit bigger. I looked a little bit scarier, even though I still didn't know how to fight. I looked a little scarier, and people picked on me less. Or I decided to go to jujitsu, and I solved the problem there. Or I decided that you know what, um, I, I'm a, a multi-billionaire, and I, I rocked it, and I did all this cool stuff. I ended up going down a deep dark path, and now I'm doing yoga and now I'm uh, uh, meditating. You know, it's again, it's just uh, problem solving, which isn't easy to do because you have to have a lot of, um, you got to be able to be extremely self-aware. But again, there's another thing that's not, that's not taught, taught in school. And I, I love listening to your podcast. I love listening to the people that you've interacted with, um, especially like Paul Check. I love listening to, especially when when you've talked to him or when Aubrey Marcus has talked to him because I still think a lot of people are so fascinated by all the different things Paul knows about from like a workout perspective, which is intertwined with everything else that he talks about. But uh, I think they're kind of, I think sometimes they're missing the point. You know, I think they're, they're missing the bigger overall picture. It's like, man, this guy really has a lot of great things to share just with how to live your life in general, more so than just how to lift. Yeah, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. And, you know, and, and to your point, for sure, there's an evolutionary model of why we compare, you know, like higher the, the status and hierarchy within a tribe or a small group of people. It did matter because if you fall out of, you know, the grace of the group, you might find yourself in exile and you're not going to live solo out in, in the, the pre-modern world. It's hard to do it solo right now. You know, I think some of the people that are struggling the most with quarantine are the, the ones that are home alone, you know, and, and really not having any human interaction, any touch, any sense of, of what is something that feeds the soul that feeds us from within. But, um, you know, where we go awry is taking that, you know, the benefits of comparing and the benefits of being able to learn from others. And the harsh inner critic is constantly chatting. That constant inner monkey mind is the, the hardest critic out of anybody we know, you know, and, and the inner judge, you know, the judge lot, not lest thee be judged. It applies to us just as much as it applies to other people. You know, one of these concepts that, that Czech has talked about, and obviously he's not the fucking first guy to say it, but you can't love someone else as much as you love yourself. Um, you know, as that rate limiting factor of self-love to how much you really can love someone else, it applies to compassion. It, it applies to judgment as well. You know, you look at, you know, is it the people who are judging other people on a regular basis? 
they're likely the harshest critic of themselves. You know, they're likely constantly on their own ass uh, over any mistake they made rather than letting go of it and quickly working to, to a solution. You know, like, oh, hey, I fucked this up. How do I figure that out? Rather than just beating yourself up over and over again over a, a simple mistake that usually can be remedied. I absolutely uh, love watching um, The Last Dance. I don't know if you had an opportunity to watch any of it, the Michael Jordan Chicago Bulls documentary. You get a chance to see any of that? I, I haven't. I haven't. We don't have a. I mean, we have ESPN Plus, but I don't have a. I've not been tuning into it. I, I've seen uh, the trailers for it when we watched the UFC fights the other night, and I was like, "Damn, that looks pretty cool." Yeah, tell I, me I about it. You'd like it a lot. I mean, you you learn a lot about Jordan. I mean, he he kind of seems like uh, you know the most amazing person ever walked the face of the earth, and then he also seems like a complete maniac. Um, but he just wants to win. You know, he really just wants to win. He's kind of a uh, like a win at all costs, and then also. He talks about how he, he feels he earned the opportunity to be that way. And it's because, you know, he did take the team on his back and he did, you know, take the team through all these playoffs and he did get, he was the guy getting the shit beat out of him. He was the guy uh, getting all this criticism, but ultimately what it came down to is exactly what you just said right there is that the number one critic of Michael Jordan was always himself. And he was so hypercritical of himself. He put so much pressure on himself that when he made fun of you in practice and when he talks shit, I mean, he tries to start fights with, with other athletes that are on his own team. And he, I, I think the, I think, you know, in part, part of the reason why he's doing that is because the inner dialogue that he has to himself is nothing compared to what he's dishing out to these other players. So he's just thinking like, dude, I deal with something like this times a thousand every day. And for me just to throw some shit at you and say that you're lazy it's really nothing, you know, and he's just, he's constantly like <laughs> on these guys uh, all the time. But to also to your point, when you said, you know, yeah, losing is losing. And it sometimes you're like, oh, it's a loser mentality to be like, yeah, at least I learned something. But, but if you look at it as like winning <laughs> and learning, I think that that's really effective because, you know, I've asked a lot of fighters, I've had a bunch of fighters on the show I've asked them, hey, what's easier, winning or losing? You know, what, what's easier, you know, when, when you, you go through a fight camp, you spend all that time, you have time away from the fam, and then you get in the ring, you get in the cage, you have the fight. Like, think about it for a second. What's, what's easier? What's harder? Is it, is, it harder to, is it harder to win and get back to training and to keep climbing that ladder, or is it kind of harder to have a loss? And I think most of them, when they thought about it, in retrospect, I mean, it was about 50-50. People love, love the way the, the wind feels. But I know for myself, whenever I had a good powerlifting meet, um, it was kind of harder. It was, it was harder to, like, get back in the gym and be focused. And, like, hell yeah, you know, I went, I went uh, nine for nine on everything. And I benched over 800 pounds. And I squatted over 1,000. It was just the sickest uh, meet ever or whatever. And then I get back into training. And it's like, well, what am I training for? But it's like messing up, getting injured, um, you know, just, I don't know, for whatever reason, like not having a good form or technique or starting out too heavy, having poor strategy, any of it. Um, you know this, like in the fight game, you come out, you know, too fast. I'm sure you're, you're, you're blown up, you're exhausted, and the guy clocks you and catches you with a good shot, and it's game over. And then you have to, like, re-strategize. But it's actually kind of fun. Like, not getting knocked out is not fun, but... Uh, thinking about the whole process for a while is fun. And that's what, that's what they show in this documentary. You really need to check it out because 
there's stuff that burns Michael Jordan for like, it, it's ridiculous how long it bothers him for. He, they lose to the uh, Charlotte, <laughs> Charlotte Hornets um, in a playoff game. And it's when he first came back and he just wasn't in shape. He just, he couldn't hang. He just couldn't make it through the season because he was just coming back from uh, baseball. And so, you know, towards the end of the year, he's kind of beat up. They end up losing to the, uh, to the Hornets. And he, he is like, he's so frustrated, but the entire year he devotes to like kicking their ass, you know, and then they, they meet him in the playoffs. And I, I think they, uh, they just swept him. I mean, it's absolutely destroyed them, but, um, he, or I'm sorry, it was the Orlando magic is who it was. Um, what he did was when he was on the set of space jam, he had, uh, he had like a weight set up, you know, like the rocks, uh, iron paradise, like Michael Jordan had an iron, an mm-hmm. iron paradise before iron paradise was even invented. And it was like, it was like a super iron paradise because it had weights and it had a full length basketball court. But you know, you were mentioning earlier about like what we do with our time. Here's what Michael Jordan decided to do with his spare time. He would film for 10 hours every day. And when they were done, he would play basketball for about three or four hours. And he invited all the top NBA players of that time to come there. And so he was having like a, um, he was having like a, like a camp, like a, like a fighter almost where he's inviting, you know, the best people in the world. Like he was getting better practices there than he would ever get with just being with only the Chicago bulls. He's with uh, Reggie Miller and he's with uh, Patrick Ewing and he's with, you know, these guys that were selected to like the dream team and stuff. I mean, he's with, the best of the best. That's what he decided to do with his free time. And it's just, it's, it's amazing to watch how he's like, you know what? I, I'm going to, whatever way I need to figure this out, I'm going to get this figured out and I'm going to, um, I'm going to come out on top. But at any time that he had a loss or I think he maybe also viewed things as a loss that weren't even really a loss. So if, if you were to um, like, Let's let's say that I competed and Jesse Berta competed as well, and like I walk past you, you don't say anything, and you're like Berta, great meet. Then I then if I was Michael Jordan, like the way that Michael Jordan would turn this, he would turn that into fuel right there. He'd be like, oh Kyle, all right, you think you think Burdick's good? You think he you think he you think he had a good contest? Watch watch what I'm able to do next time, you know. And he would let that burn in his system for a forever long and needed to. Uh, fuel him for yeah and i think uh, you know another critical differentiation is like if it if it lights a fire under your ass to be better if it if it somehow creates change in your life going forward then it's hard to argue what's good and bad what's hard to argue what's right and wrong right because they're still taking somebody to the excellence of their goals the thing that they want to make to manifest you know really and uh you know it's 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 when it is so it's when the inner critic becomes so prevalent that it actually paralyzes you, that it actually prevents you from trying again, that it, that it prevents you from getting better and it doesn't light the fire. It puts the fire out. And that's, that's in part what I've seen with a lot of people who kind of throw in the towel on health. They're like, Oh, you know, I used to be thin. I used to do this. I used to do that. And you know, then I got, married and then I had a kid and then I have fucking fill in the blank X, Y, and Z excuses on why they don't take care of themselves anymore. And again, all you have to do is look around you and say, do I want to die of old age or do I want to die from the next fucking bug or viral wave that hits us? 
do I want to have some degree of when I leave this planet or is it just up for grabs and, well, I'm going to go anyway, so might as well smoke cigarettes and not touch weights and not do shit for myself and eat this fucking garbage pizza that I know is going to fucking run me in the grave. Saladino was talking about the fact that, and obviously this has to do with, you know, I mean, grocery stores are still open, so I really don't think there's much excuse here, but junk food is at an all-time high in sales. Uh, you know, a lot of these shitty restaurants through DoorDash are still doing better than ever. People are doing takeout all the time. And it's not to say that I don't eat bad on occasion. For Bear's birthday, we flew in uh, Lou Malnati's deep dish from Chicago, which is the greatest deep dish ever made. And I'm going to throw caution to the wind and have a fuck, probably a whole fucking deep dish on his birthday. But I've also paid my dues. I'm under 10% body fat. I can get away with that. I've got, you know, different digestive enzymes and things to help me break it down. And even though I'm going to have some inflammation and probably gain some fat from it, 99% of the time I'm taking care of myself. So again, it's, it's looking at that and, and just understanding like you can't, you can't let it paralyze you. You can't let it say, I give up. I'm not going to, I'm not going to take care of myself. I'm not going to go for this job that I want. Um, the relationship that I'm in is too difficult. So I'm going to leave this woman or leave this man and just go back to the drawing board and try, you know, you know, try, uh, try again and, and think that the grass is always greener. It's like, no, all relationships take work. The relationship with yourself takes work. The relationship you have with your employer takes work. Fucking how you treat your body takes work. Everything takes work. You still have uh, multiple relationships going on over there. <laughs> uh, kind of, you know, I'm kind of closed for business. You know, the, the, uh, uh, Christian's still in the mix, my wife's boyfriend, and we're very happy with him. He's, he's family. You know, I love him dearly. Bear loves him dearly. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I imagine he's going to be with us for a very long time. He's in it for as long as he wants to be. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, you know, we have our little girl on the way and anybody who's become a parent understands, uh, what that takes. And um, she's the only extra woman that I will be bringing into <laughs> the relationship uh, for, for the foreseeable future. You know, that's, uh, I mean, fuck, just in the first, <laughs> just in dealing with a pregnant woman, I'm not bringing any women around. But, you know, you add in the fact that we're not going to be sleeping. Uh, we'll be up all night changing diapers. We still have a five-year-old boy who is just nonstop energy and, and also is a priority over any extracurriculars I would, I would attend to. So, you know, it's nice to have the freedom. And certainly if I'm out of town podcasting, I'm not going to say no when the opportunity presents itself and it feels right for me. But in terms of relationship, you know, the relationship with my daughter matters more than anything else. I'm sure the uh, people listening to the show can relate. Anytime you get into a Kyle Kingsbury or like an Aubrey Marcus conversation with your old lady at home, just be very careful. It's a trap, you know, it's, you, you, you gotta really, you gotta really tiptoe around the situation. It was funny because my wife was asking me all these questions about uh, like your relationship and stuff. I'm like, you know, I, I said, I, we talked about so much of it on the podcast. And really all I remember from anything that Aubrey's ever told me or anything that Kyle's ever told me is that it's, um, it's just, it's just still difficult. Like whether you have one person to have a relationship with or, or whether you have multiple people, uh, it's, it's always hard. There's always, um, there's always gonna be some pain. There's always going to be some problem or issue that arises, um, either way. But she was, she like, um, what was she saying? She was, she was saying, Oh, she's like, I know she goes, I, I know for, uh, men that it's called a certain thing i don't even know what these different things are called but when men have two or more 
wives it's called something she's like but i don't know if they have some, a name for when a girl does <laughs> so what's what's the deal is, <laughs> is there a name for it yeah well, it's funny. There's, there's, you know, polygamy is what you're right, alluding right. to, where a man has multiple wives, and that typically, that typically doesn't go two ways. Uh, it's not a two way street. Polyamory is more than one love. Uh, if we were to label what we're doing, that's that's probably it. Uh, it's certainly the case for Tosh. What I would be doing right now is is just living in an open relationship. So I have the ability to have sex with other people, but through my own choice and my own knowing of what's most important, uh, which is my family. Um, I won't be entertaining more than one love, if that makes sense. So I have some parameters and shit like that over how I made that decision. And, and that took a long time to come up with. But, you know, you're exactly right. Paul checks it on this podcast. If you can't juggle uh, two balls, what makes you think you're going to add a third and fucking be able to juggle it? Right. Like you, you cannot you if, if you if you cannot successfully navigate monogamy, how on earth are you going to navigate open relationship or polyamory, you know, and that's, that's the truth. Most people don't have any idea of the triggers and things that come up in relationship as, as are really fuel to learn and to grow. They're not, you know, Don McGraw Ruiz said that in the mastery of love, if I get triggered in any relationship, it's not the other person that causes the trigger. It's my fucking trigger to own that. Right. And it's, and if we're mirrors to each other and reflections of ourselves, there's some inner work that I can do to figure out why, I'm being triggered by any particular situation. And, you know, you, you, you circle back to the four agreements, um, be impeccable with your word matters more than ever, you know, especially in our circumstances, not taking it personally. That's a big one for anybody, uh, monogamous or not. Don't take it personally. And certainly don't take it personally when someone's pregnant because, you know, they're the, the, the hormones are like the stock market right now. They're up, they're down, they're every which way, but loose. And, uh, so don't take it personal is a big one. Um, you know, and you just go down the list. Like there's a lot of wisdom there. And I think, you know, you talk about like Jordan's mentality of lighting a fire under his ass because he had those internal impetuses and drivers that were, were causing him to be that way. You know, that's, that's really the gift of what opening our relationship did for me. They made me a better person. They made me better at relationships with my wife because of the fact that I had a burning desire to know how to communicate better. I had a burning desire to understand what love actually is and how do you cultivate that love in the face of external challenges and stressors. And I think you can do that, you know, in a monogamous relationship for sure. You don't have to walk the same path that I did. Um, and it probably would be, you know, in, in many ways, um, more beneficial to not do what I did. But at the same time, I have complete gratitude for all the firewalks that we've done and all the, the ways that we've chosen to learn in our experience. Do you think that um, you could have uh, like learned a lot of the same things that you've learned um, without some of your experiences of like psychedelics and things like that? It's, it's hard to say, you know, it's like chicken or the egg conversation. Um, Cause like you told me before that well, you've medicines gave me you had a conversation, I think with your, or you had a conversation maybe as your wife to yourself. And I think you had a conversation as your mom to to yourself or something like that. And I would just imagine like, those are things that um, may, maybe you can have some observation of uh, without psychedelics, but I don't think it would be the same. Yeah. And, you know, you know, to that, that was my very first ayahuasca experience, you know, and I became Tosh. I relived every argument we had ever had at that point as her. And I remember being shorter. I had the curly hair and the boobs and I'm just looking up at Kyle 
yelling at him. But as I was yelling at Kyle, the words coming out were in a way that I, actual Kyle, could perceive. And it just it just completely reframed. You talk, you know, in the beginning of this conversation, we're talking about perspective and the way we view the world. And instead of seeing her as this nagging archetype of every relationship I've ever had, I understood she was speaking from a place of love every time. She was, you know, and, and in particular about me drinking with my friends or going out and wanting to party, you know, like knowing I was running myself into the ground. And even though I wasn't an angry drunk, it still wasn't, you know, helpful to me from a health and wellness standpoint. It wasn't helpful to me from a mental, emotional standpoint. And oftentimes our partners can see the things we cannot. Everyone has a blind spot. And through the practices of expanding our awareness, whether that's through meditation, weightlifting, anything that helps us uh, know ourselves a little bit deeper, you know, we can start to shrink that blind spot, but it's often the ones that we're closest to that can see the shit we can't see. And so that reframe really helped me understand um, that she did love me and that she wasn't just being a nag and that she didn't represent every date, you know, every person I had ever dated before. And that, you know, all of our experience, that one in particular, and many of the shared experiences that we have, have helped us to not just grow as individuals, but grow together. And so that's, you know, in my opinion, it's irreplaceable, you know, and, and certainly you know, for what we've done. And the one with my mom, you know, there was no conversation. I was just her and I watched my belly grow with me in it in time lapse. And I could feel her nervousness as a mother being a mom, like she's going to be a mom for the first time. I don't want to fuck this up. And all of her internal judgments and her internal criticism of herself and my father coming over and kissing my belly and I could feel like shockwaves of love just go through my belly into this baby that I'm creating and and you know your parents will always say you'll never know how much I love you until you have a kid of your own and it's true you know but in that experience I understood it you know and that really just quieted the noise that happened while I was still living in my mom's detached garage we're still button heads. There's still a lot of childhood shit that I haven't figured out and sorted through and communication that's left unsaid. And to have that experience was a real gift because it allowed me to truly love my mom and to kind of take off my expectations of what I want to see in her and how I want her to behave. And, and um, you know, it just, it just calmed the noise. And so I think any practices we have that calm the noise are beneficial. And of course, there are many. There are many, but I, I, I think the plants um, and some of these psychedelic experiences that I've had are, are truly, you know, they're, they're unreplaceable. They've given me things that I have not gained from meditation. I have not gained from yoga. I have not gained from the 10 minute walk or anything else that I do. And uh, I hold them in high regard for that reason. Yeah, I think uh, reframing, reinterpretation, uh, I think are massive tools uh, that can that can really help you know people get uh, triggered they get mad they get upset about certain things and um, when you're able to start to reinterpret what's going on you know like um, I, I mean I, I don't really I'm not real emotional I don't go like way up I don't go way down um, I just I, I've always for myself personally I like to try to stay pretty even keel you know I don't get even if it's um, even if we have some enormous sales with slingshot or something and, and things are going really well from that perspective, maybe workouts are going really well and a bunch of things are going really well. I'm not like, you know, overly like pumped about it. And if, if things uh, kind of start swaying the other way on a downward swing, um, I'm not super, super upset about it. I try to stay uh, relatively, you know, kind of, uh, 
I guess you'd say like even. I try to keep my emotions kind of even, but just over the last couple of years, I, I've recognized how powerful it is to be able to reframe and reinterpret stuff. For example, let's say, um, you know, let's say something at work kind of fell through the cracks and it just didn't work out the way that I uh, was it was expecting. You know, uh, number one is you know you want to be careful with expectations because they can they they can pretty much always lead to disappointment, you know, or, or it just happened the way that you expected it to. So you don't care about it. You're like, yeah, I, I expected it to be that way. But a lot of times our expectations can be really disappointing. So I've learned to just live a low expectation life uh, on one end. And on the other end, I've learned that really just about every single thing that I could possibly think of as being problematic, um, that I got upset about is, is, is I, I can't even really think of scenarios where it's not my fault in some way, you know, and I don't mean like, Oh, it's all, it's my fault. I'm going to beat myself up over it. I mean, it's my fault in terms of, um, you know, may, maybe there was like a misunderstanding. Maybe there wasn't good communication. Like I'm not a great communicator. Like I just, you know, when I, when I think about like stuff for slingshot in particular, um, I might tell someone, just don't ever show me anything that sucks. You know, but like that's not good direction. That's not really good. That's not really good leadership because <laughs> their interpretation of like they might they might have done the best well-meaning thing that they could, and I just might think it sucks. Or maybe I'm in a different mood that day and think I think it sucks. You know, so when I start to kind of think about the things that I've gotten frustrated over over the over the years, I could always just kind of you know have that self-evaluation and that self-observation of like. Yeah, you know, if I if I can just take a couple steps back, I can look and I can identify like where the real problem is. Okay, maybe that person didn't do kind of what you said, but maybe you didn't really spell it out, you know, in a way that was understandable for them. Maybe it's their first time doing it. And I've also found too that a lot of times we're living in the experience of stuff. And when you're living in the experience of stuff, it's hard to see the full picture. And some something that I've been kind of leaning into more recently is it's it's almost as if you and I like were to go to like an art museum and you're like, Smelly, I love this art museum. This place is sick. I'm gonna show you around. We're gonna, gonna show you my favorite painting. Can't wait to show you my favorite painting. You're looking around and you're like, oh man, there it is. And you're like, isn't it, you know, isn't it awesome? And you kind of turn, you look at me, and by the time you look at me, I'm dead center. My nose is right to the painting. I'm like, Kyle, this shit's stupid, man. You're like, no, dude, you need to take a couple (laughs) steps back to be able to see the full picture. So you take a couple steps back and you kind of see the full picture. And I think, you know, what you said was, was amazing. Like I've never tried uh, psychedelics to that degree. Tried some mushrooms before, but never tried anything uh, quite like what you're talking about. And my brother has, uh, has done uh, some Ibogaine as well. I've never had that experience of like being that far, like zoomed out, you know, and I, I would just imagine that you can kind of get there through some different practices and through some meditations and, and through some different things. But I don't think you could really get to that next level, um, you know, without without the use of of uh, some psychedelics. But I've just found that to be really helpful is to, you know, just reframe stuff like even death. Like, how bad is death? Like, I don't know. I've never done it before. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, these are all things to, uh, there's things to kind of think about, you know, um, 
I think that everyone, everyone's very fearful of death, but maybe death is cool. Like maybe death is like sick. I, maybe it's super fun. I've, like I said, I don't know. I, I haven't, <laughs> I haven't done it, but think about this. How many people, you know, that say they died or they, or they felt like they died or they flatlined or something like that. I have never heard one person say that my life was a living hell after I thought I died. They usually say the exact opposite, right? They usually say, you know, I, it changed everything. You know, a couple of years ago, I got in a bad wreck, thought I was dead, thought that was it. C.T. Fletcher, you know, comes to mind. My dad comes to mind. My dad was really sick years ago, and he died twice. And, um, you know, my dad was a, a good man before that happened, and he's still a good man today. But it really changed a lot of perspective for him. And now he spends every single moment that he possibly can with his grandkids because you know, he recognized the value. So all it did is it just increased the value of the time that he does have while he's here. And now he's not fearful at all about dying, which is something else that can sometimes happen with psychedelics. Yeah. Yeah. Truly important. Right. I think that's just, it's just it. You know, the, 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 the two things that are coming to mind are what skill set do we have to push pause on the monkey mind chatter? It could be a max effort squat it could be a 10 minute walk. It could be breath work. It could be yoga. It could be meditation. It could be just a uh, simple reflection in nature while you sit by a tree. It could be any of those things. But if we can pause this, then we could, that's what allows us to take the steps back. And obviously those bigger tools like plant medicines and psychedelics, they tend to work a lot better when we have some degree of turning the mind off. They can be very challenging if you're constantly in the experience of that, as opposed to Oh, wow. My mind keeps having these thoughts. Let me quiet the noise and return to stillness. You know, uh, all of these tools flow and work, work synergistically, but you know, I think, um, it is the reframe. The ultimate reframe is how do I get the most out of every minute I'm here on this planet? And even if we just look through that lens right now in our current situation, there's a lot of shit that's out of our control. When do we go back to work? What is the new normal? Because it's not going to be the same as it was. And also, what does the economy look like going forward? A lot of that shit's out of our hands. What's in my hands? What's in my control? And how do I want to use this time that I have here today to make today the best day that I possibly can with the means that I have? And a lot of the shit we're talking about is free. I feel better when I do yoga, I feel better when I go for a walk. I feel better when I go for a run. I feel better if I do any of these things with some degree of mindfulness. Obviously, if I go beat my ass on the trail and I'm sore all week and I hurt my ankle or something like that, that's going to you know take out more than it puts in. But if you think of the, through the lens of um, whatever I do, I want to make I want it to make me more whole than when I started. And even from a running and lifting weight standpoint, I want to do just enough to stimulate growth, to stimulate a response. But I also want to have more energy in the tank than when I finished, you know, and, and, and it's cool to push yourself to the extremes. I mean, I certainly lived that as a fighter and I lived that in, uh, you know, training for PRs. I know you've done that as well, you know, squatting over a thousand pounds, you push yourself past whatever your limits are and then you regroup and you recover. But that always pans out better when you have the recovery interval that always pans out better when you give yourself space and time to recover and actually get better. And so, you know, when we think of those things from a life standpoint, what practices do we get to add now that will survive quarantine? 
right? What are the ways we can change our life on a day-to-day basis that live long after whatever this new normal comes back to being? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It reminds me a little bit of nutrition too. Like if you try to just take so much from your nutrition, you're going to feel like you're not ever recovering from that either. And then, you know, a lot of people do fasting, you know, and I'm, I'm a big fan of intermittent fasting. I'm a big fan of utilizing fasting as a tool here and there. Um, but you can fast too much or you could eat too little. And if you eat too little, you're going to go through a period of time where you all of a sudden eat too much. You know, you and I have had our body weights go up and down. And, uh, you know, I've been all the way up to uh, 330 pounds. Some of it was uh, purpose, purposeful for powerlifting to be as big and as strong as I could be. But I also got lost along the way. And then as my, as my goal to, you know, drop weight from 330, I ended up coming down to about 230. And I'm about 235-ish nowadays. Um, but along that path, you know, there's a lot of ups and a lot of downs. And I would get things right and I would do things well. Um, but then I would try to do them too well. I'd get too obsessed about it. I would weigh myself too often and really, uh, you know, try to restrict calories and try to uh, exercise more. And then you just get beat all the hell from that. You can't really recover from that mentally or physically. It just doesn't feel good. And so there you are, you know, a few days later, you know, eating a pint of Ben and Jerry's. And, and I see this very often with a lot of people. So the <laughs> people that are listening to the show, like if you utilize fasting, that's awesome. I'm a big proponent of it. But I would judge whether your fasting's working by whether it's working really well over the long term. And I'd also judge it off of what are you doing three to five days later? Because I don't think your body really recognizes it that much. Your body doesn't really care too much until you really start to screw it over. Then it says, hey, wait a second. You've been a real dick. You know, you better start to give us the nutrients. You better start to give us the fuel that we need or we're, we're going to, you know, start burning up muscle or we're going to, you know, demand that you give us more calories. And that's when someone's like, yeah, man, I was doing great for like three weeks. And then I was doing shitty for like three months. You know, like I, I know, I think a while back you, you gained some body fat and I've never seen I, mean, I personally haven't seen you uh, heavier. I've always seen you in uh, in really good shape. What led to that kind of upward, downward, and now you're looking all jacked and tan again? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I, we play with extremes, right? We, we push ourselves to, to different layers just to simply find what the middle is, you know? And so that, that can be, you know, all right, I'm going to gain weight and I'm going to see how strong I can get all the way down to, all right, I'm going to really lean out. I think, I think the key component in that is what is the actual goal, right? Uh, Dr. Andy Galpin, who's a friend of ours, talked about that too. Like if you are a professional athlete and you're training twice a day, you likely don't need intermittent fasting. And you, even if you're going to sauna to create heat shock proteins, 15 minutes post-workout is probably plenty because you've already generated heat shock proteins in your fucking workout. Like, so why, why do 45 minutes afterwards? It's simply going to be too taxing, you know? So, I mean, I think, I think again, we circle back. If we're, if we're looking through the lens of truly knowing ourselves and knowing our why, what is the purpose behind it? If everything's driven towards longevity, that's cool. You want to live longer. You want to have your health when you die, but you don't want to sacrifice the things that you love right now. And if you have a lot of requirements physically through the exercise that you do, a lot of these longevity practices, um, might dampen what your performance looks like, right? And, and truth be told, working out is a longevity practice, 
you know, you listen to these David Sinclairs and people like that who are taking statins and working out once a week and trying to solve the riddle of longevity through resveratrol and whatever the fucking next thing they can dream up in a lab is. It's like, yeah, working out and getting sunlight and eating clean actually matters. And that's going to lead to longevity and better quality of life probably better than the next drug y'all come up with. You know, there's no two ways about that. Now, if you're doing all those things and your ducks are in a row from a health and wellness standpoint, and you're looking at things holistically as Paul check does, and you want to add in the resveratrol and, uh, you know, on your day off on Saturday or Sunday, you want to intermittent fast and do the warrior diet for one day a week. That's probably cool. Probably not going to overdo it. But again, it just circles back to why are you doing it in the first place? And I think as we live in the information age and we have so much access to all these different tools, it's like, well, which one, I'm, you know, which one can I do next? Where's the magic bullet? Where's the next supplement? Where's the next meditation practice? And it's always in the searching that we have the thing that we're shooting for just out in front of us. And it's always, it's never within us. It's always out in front of us. And you can fill in every variable, every diet, every form of training. But if it's always outside of yourself is the next great thing, you're never really embodying the thing you wish to embody, you know? So through knowing the why behind it, you can begin to decipher what's right for you, you know? And that may be different for everybody. It may be that, hey, nine months out of the year, I actually like powerlifting and balancing that with some form of yoga. And every now and then I'm going to do some hypertrophy and things like that, just because I know it's good for me to get a break. Um, or, or somebody who likes running may just like running and they may find that weight training actually makes them a better runner. Even though they don't like weight training, they know the why because it's going to make them a better runner, right? So you start to piggyback and layer based on those things, always circling back to why you're doing it in the first place. But if you're haphazardly grabbing on to whatever the latest shit is, um, typically that, that leads to a lot of experimentation and not a ton of, you know, gaining, not a ton of embodiment, not a ton of stuff that you actually take home and, uh, and gain from. I love talking to you because I think you have like the ultimate perspective of it just because I don't think, I don't think uh, a lot of people have ever experienced, you know, what it's like to be inside a UFC cage, you know? And I think that that's like, um, it's just such a, it's just such a, it's just such a different battle, you know, it's like a literal, it's a literal fight, you know, and you are fighting against the guy across the uh, ring, but you got to fight so many other battles just to even, just to even get there in the first place. And then to try to figure out, you know, how to get uh, satisfaction to, to try to figure out how to have a lot of fulfillment um, after you train so hard for something like that. And you go in and you execute really well and you just blast the guy and everything went awesome. I mean, you see the exhilaration that these guys have when they jump on top of the cage, when they do a backflip off of the cage. Um, it, it's, it, it seems like kind of like the, the ultimate thing to like do slash overcome, but then, and th then what, you know, they, they talk about this with a astronauts, um, you know, when, when they, there hasn't been that many people that have gone to the moon, but people that have gone to the moon they're like well, okay, well you know what am i gonna do now <laughs> you know and obviously <laughs> yeah. like you know stepping inside yeah. of a cage isn't the same exact thing as like going to the moon but it still is rare territory and i think it's it's neat you know um my own experiences with powerlifting, you know it's like that was my thing that was what i love to do and then how do you find how do you find things that are gratifying satisfying and the answer is kind of you know, getting back to what we were talking about earlier, 
you know, taking a lot of satisfaction in in the things that are like free. You know, the best things in life are free. You know, loving yourself, loving the people around you, figuring out ways. Just how simple is this? Like, there's a lot of people that do this. There's a lot of art, a lot of starving artists. There's a lot of people that, you know, a lot of people, I know a lot of people are just happy. They're just figuring out a way to be happy every day. You know, and, that, and that's a great, that's a great thing to solve. That's a great thing to kind of just figure out. And they're always smiling. They always got a joke. They're always uh, super, super excited about stuff. And I, I think that's like a real, a real key to life is, you know, I know everyone's striving so hard to be better than they were yesterday and, and or to be the best or to be better than this person, quote unquote, better than that person. Um, but in the end, if you do get there, you might be really screwed because then trying to figure out how to still be happy and still try to figure out, I think that's, you know, guys like yourself and guys like me, like we've been kind of, not that we've done everything. I'm not even saying that. It's just that we've done some things that are pretty cool and they were really, they were of high value to us. And we went in there and we, and we did it and we got it done and we felt amazing about it. And then it's like, and now, and I have seen so many lifters I know you've seen so many fighters. It's like, man, that's all they ever had. And you're like, oh man, like I think you missed a lot, buddy. Like you, there's so much, there's so much more out there for you other than just the fighting or other just than just the lifting. Yeah, hundred percent. No, there's no, there's no doubt about that. And so I, you know, I, you look at these happy people, and and the people who always have a joke, like. Every time we're around Jesse Burdick, he's got a fucking smile on his face. He's making us laugh. He's cracking jokes. Uh, and, and that's a characteristic of, of somebody who's embodying their own medicine. And really, that just boils down to what, what do those people do? What makes them that way? What do they do with their time? You know, and it's, it's quite likely they find fulfillment in the things that they choose to do each day. And, you know, one of the beautiful things about us, you know, getting put on timeout by mother earth right now is, is to actually reflect upon that. What are the things that I do each day that actually make me happy in the fucking experience of it? And it's not just chasing those, right? Like, Hey, I feel great doing yoga. I'm not going to do it fucking 16 hours a day and neglect my son and not eat and all that other shit. But, you know, can I sprinkle in a little bit from these different categories that really do make me feel good? And can I do them often enough that I'm not overdoing or underdoing? Can I find balance and equanimity in those experiences? And, you know, trying new shit is one of the ways we figure that out. You know, some people try to do yoga and they're like, I fucking hate this. Or they go for a run and they hurt their knee and they're like, yeah, I'm not going to do that again. But there is, you know, there are ways that we can fine tune and make any of those things work for us and work in the way that we, you know, really do gain the most from it without injury and without um, consequence. You know, and I think the more we get better at figuring out ourselves and what's right for us and, and what are the ways that we can start to co-inhabit those spaces with other people, like, can I, can I have a gym where I have amazing fucking people that I want to talk to in between sets? And can we have this group workout? <clears throat> can I make it out? You know, can I teach Bear how to ride a bike and hit the trails with them and ride around Ladybird Lake and then jump in the water to cool off when it's 97 degrees outside. Like, yeah, that's, that's, 
there's medicine in that experience. It's, it's filling my cup. And the more often I can do things like that while still obviously taking care of the shit that needs to be taken care of, paying the bills on time, you know, fucking turning in taxes, doing all that shit that has to be done. How much time in the day do I actually fill my cup for me and fill the cup for my family's needs? That isn't just, you know, dotting the I's and crossing the T's with paperwork and, and whatever job that takes care of that Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Like, can I, can I really have balance between those two things, the work that needs to be done and the work that I want to have done. And, and I think that really is the, the, the missing ingredient that we all get to reflect upon right now. You know, like where, where are we at? Where have we been running along through life constantly in a state of doing and we've been taking no breaks to evaluate all this. We have a time right now where we really can reflect upon all the things that we've done, all the things that we've done by habit and reframe that, restructure it, you know, and really look at that. And that's something that, that obviously brought me joy. You know, when, when I reached out, I was like, Oh hell yeah, dude, fucking let's do it, buddy. And, um, seeing you guys are out in Bodega Bay. I remember going out there for a camping trip once and they have some of the best oysters ever there in Bodega Bay. You know, just, it's just a fucking beautiful spot in California, you know, and you're out there with your family, you got a gym, you're getting in nature, like all that's in your control, you know, that's, that's all in your control. So just looking at that, um, there's not a place on this planet that isn't awesome. You know, you go to even like the, the harshest deserts have beauty in them. There's, there's everywhere on this earth, when you connect to nature, there's some degree of wow, this is a fucking cool spot. You know, this is a really beautiful place to be in. And if we shift the lens to maybe I want to spend a little bit more time in nature, maybe I want to spend a little bit more time dropping out of my constant thinking, chattering mind into just a space of stillness, that, that leads and bleeds into everything else we do. It makes you better at being a dad. It makes you better in, in your relationships. And it gives you a greater perspective on what is the track leading forward about I think about two years ago I started um, about five years ago I started walking and uh, I started trying just to make sure I walk you know about two miles every day or so and I did a lot of 10 minute walks and then one day I was walking and uh, I was just like I actually feel pretty good like knees feel pretty good ankles feel pretty good this is once I've kind of stopped lifting as heavy and I was like, I think I can like run. So I'm just going to like, I don't know, just try it. I'm going to run from here and I'll run to the end of the street. And I tried it and it felt good. And I was like, I think I can actually just run home. So I ran home. And then, you know, more recently, I've just, I'm not like a, I like having, I like having like, I guess, more broad, long-term goals. I'm not really like a, I don't set up a ton of, um, I don't set up a ton of goals. I kind of more or less have like a to-do list. So I'll be like, all right, well, I'm going to get out and I'm going to do like a run walk today. And I, I, um, I'll, I'll try to get PRs. I'll try to West side barbell it a little bit where, uh, Louis Simmons has these, like he calls them mini maxes. So you have a bench press, you know, that you, you did with bands. You have a bench press that you did with chains. You have a bench press max that you did with a close grip. You had a bench press max you did with a wide grip. You have a bench press max you did with boards. So for me out here in Bodega, I'll just kind of like, I'll say, okay, I'm going to time myself running from this spot to this spot. And it's just like, I don't know, it's just me doing it on my phone. And then I'll screen capture it. 
And then I go on IG uh, story and I write over top of it, like, you know, where I was running or whatever. I save it to my phone and then I try to beat the PR the next time I go out there. So it's like, um, it's just a lot of fun for me. You know, it's like, it's like um, just trying to find things that you can do and things that are, uh, that are different. And so for me, it's been, it's been amazing to, you know, really shift gears. I have uh, a little bit of weight here. I have like, uh, I have these triad um, things from a company called Havoc. They're, they're a little bit similar to kettlebells. And then I have a, a couple of dumbbells here, but I don't have like a bench or like a lat pull down machine or a pull up bar or anything like that. I just have a couple of real basic things. I got a weight vest and uh, there's some stairs here. So I'll, I'll throw the weight vest on and I'll go run the stairs, but it's, um, it's just super random. It's super fun. It's just like whatever kind of calls to me for the day. I, I might go out and, I might walk and uh, I might be like, oh, wow, I kind of feel like crap today. I'm not, I don't feel super energetic. Well, let me see how I feel after this, you know, about a two mile walk or so. And then oftentimes I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, I, I'll just sprint this hill, you know, and I'll sprint 10 hills or something like that. It just, um, it's been really, it's been really awesome to, to have this extra time to figure out what the hell is it that you enjoy doing? What do you, what do you like to do? What do you want to do? You can kind of ponder it. Whereas before you had shit to do, you had places to be, so you couldn't really sit around and think about it. So now I can think about, wow, how much stuff was I doing before that was really forced? You know, like I, I do love going to super training gym. I do love doing those. I lo- love doing those workouts but am I doing them because I have a camera there because I'm doing it for Instagram or because I'm doing it because this is what everyone thinks I should be doing all the time? Or do I, or do I really love doing it? Like everybody just thinks that I'm going to be there at this time. And so because of that, I'm going to be there at that time. <laughs> that's, that's what I, that's what I, norm, <laughs> that's what I normally do. <clears throat> but I think you, you kind of see what I'm saying here is that like, we don't really have a certain time to, to wake up anymore. I mean, some people have scheduled that for themselves. Um, we don't have a certain time to go to bed. So I, I, I've been kind of just figuring all this out. And I, I'm somebody that loves starting out, starting out my mornings uh, early. But, you know, a lot of times I would wake up at like 3.30 and, you know, try to get something going by like 4 o'clock. Now it's more, it's more reasonable. You know, now it's a little bit more in line with the sun. It's a little bit more in line, you know, when the sun's going down at night, I'm starting to shut things down uh, in my household as well. And so it, it's, it's an interesting thing. Uh, it's an interesting opportunity that we have right now to, to kind of figure out, yeah, what does call to you? What do you enjoy doing? And the people that have lost their jobs, like, you know, I, I know that that's, it's, it's horrible. Like it's a, it's a real shitty thing, but maybe you're going to land on something better. You know, maybe this is an opportunity for you to learn and grow. Maybe you have an opportunity to uh, read some books, listen to some podcasts, educate yourself in a different way. Like maybe it's a way out for you. You know, maybe you're 30, 35 years old and you weren't sure what you were going to be doing or 40. You weren't sure what you're going to be doing for the next three to five years. And you didn't really see yourself doing the, the thing you were doing anyway for the next three to five years. Maybe this is a time for you to really expand and really go out and use this as like almost like an, an excuse. I'm not going, I'm not even going to go back in that line of work because of the coronavirus, like blame it on that, blame it on the quarantine. And you end up uh, just completely <laughs> shifting gears and doing something totally different. Like I'm doing with my, with my running. I would have never thought that I, I, I would be running, but it's, it's been fun for me. 
Fuck yeah, brother. That's beautiful, man. It's been so good having you on the show here. We definitely got to do it again. And uh, yep, you gave a little teaser trailer for your brother, Chris, who's going to come on and talk about his experience with Ibogaine. And I absolutely can't wait for that. Um, absolutely love you. I love chatting with you every time we get an opportunity to. Much love to you and your family. Where can people find you online? The podcast, the Instagram, all that good shit. I'm blowing up over here, man. No, I'm just kidding. I love saying that. It's a, <laughs> it's a weird thing. Like I have, I've had people tell me that before. And then I'm like, uh, I'm like, I think you have the same phone that I have. I think you have access to YouTube. I think you have access to Facebook. I think you have access to Instagram. Like we're all on the same damn platforms, <laughs> you know? Anyway, uh, you could find me at Mark Smelly Bell. I have a YouTube channel, which is at Mark Smelly Bell. I have a, an Instagram, which is at Mark Smelly Bell. I have a Twitter, which is at Mark Smelly Bell. And then if you want to check out some uh, Slingshot products, I invented a product about 10 years ago called the Slingshot. It's a supportive upper body device for bench press, push-ups, and dips. And in addition to that, we also have wrist wraps, knee sleeves, knee wraps, elbow sleeves, anything that you need to mummify yourself during a workout because sometimes the workouts get to be quite painful. Uh, we have everything to protect you over at Mark Bell slingshot.com and then in addition to that i know you've talked highly about kratom in the past on this podcast i also have a product called mind bullet and uh, if you get a chance go over to mindbullet.com and check out what we have to offer over there in my opinion it's some of the best i, I personally like it a lot for pre-workout i like to take uh some kratom in the morning as well so if you uh got any bumps bruises got a little pain or you just want to be a little extra creative next time you uh are meditating, um, you might want to pop some Mind Bullet and go check it out at mindbullet.com. Thanks, man. I really appreciate Love being on the show. I love you. I love your family. Um, always great to get in conversation with you. And um, I'm pumped, man. I'm pumped up to uh, to see you again sometime in the near future. And then I know that I'm going to be that, that old guy in Bear's life that sees him every like four or five years. And I'll be like, man, I remember you just tall and you used to jump off the Swiss ball. <laughs> so uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you and your family uh, sometime in the near future. Yeah, you got it, brother. Thanks so much. All right, my man. Thank you guys for tuning into the show today with my dude, Mark Bell. Uh, please check out our sponsors. They make this show possible. And also check out my dude, Mark Bell. He's got a phenomenal podcast that I've been on a couple of times. Uh, his, <laughs> his social media is one of the favorite things that I would, I would look at because he doesn't mind... Um, he doesn't mind poking the rhino. You know, he's, he's made some posts on education. And obviously, when you get to a following as big as his, you're getting a lot of pushback. And that's okay. But... Um, He's just, a, he's just a fantastic dude. He's always thinking outside the box. Uh, really hope you guys enjoyed this one. We've got some big episodes coming up here that I'm super excited about. And that's about it. Oh, also, yes, just had uh, Baby Wolf. Posted that on Instagram, even though I'm not on there much. And so we got our first little girl. So I'm, um, even though I feel energized and good to do these intros and outros, uh, definitely limping through the days right now. So yes, congratulations, Kyle and Natasha. And congratulations, Wolf and Bear. We got a little girl now in the house. Love you guys. See you next week.